1: Give it up for the teams, a bunch of badasses, if you know what I mean, they're coming out of the sky, out of the sea, and on land, gonna take it to the enemy. Lock it low, boys, time to explode, boys, make sure you get home, boys, they got your back, the pride of the fleet, the bright swinging frogmen of the U-D-T-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-M-O-
0: <laughs> Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine here with the Unbeatable Mind podcast coming at you from not-so-sunny San Diego, California. And uh, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, I encourage you to go to sealfit.com and put your email into our little opt-in form there so we can keep you up to date on all the wickedly cool things that we do here to train physical and mental toughness. Uh, Today, I am super stoked to have a teammate um, named Derek Van Orden. Um, Senior Chief, right, Derek? That is correct. Retired. Retired Senior Chief. Retired uh, after 26 years in the military. Uh, I imagine most of that with the SEALs, but we'll find out in a moment. Um, and we'll thank him for his service, but retired in November of last year. So he's now uh, back in the civilian world and running a farm in Wisconsin. And what we're going to talk about today is how to develop resilient boys and how to become a man, and interestingly enough, uh, he has just penned a very cool book called The Book of Man, which I think is going to do amazingly well. And so we're going, to, we're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about how to um, inspire and develop the younger generation and um, see what we can learn. And it's super cool to meet you, Derek. I don't think we are our paths crossed. Maybe at a CERTEX or something?
1: Most likely at a CERTEX, but not, uh, not in a it, – we it, really never formally work together. So All right. thank you, for, Thank you for your service. Well, thank you for yours. We're both veterans now, so we can celebrate on Veterans Day. That's kind of a big deal for me.
0: That is a big so, deal.
1: Yeah. I was happy about it. We were just talking before hand
0: how interesting it is for us military guys to go from the rigid structure of the bureaucracy of the teams and all that energy, and all of a sudden, when you get out, you know— mm-hmm. If you don't go back in as a contractor, and you end up just basically going to a farm, or let's say, st- like me, right. starting a business, and I imagine being an entrepreneur and a farmer are probably a lot alike, a lot more alike than most people would imagine. How different it can be, and how uh, both exasperating because you don't have that structure, no one's telling you what to do, you don't have anybody to salute, right? You don't right. even have a paycheck, and how different that is.
1: And what yeah, was, pretty interesting experience, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. Uh, speaking to my friends that have retired before me, uh, they said it's a bit of a letdown, right. and it can be. But uh, I I think I'm a little bit unique as a seal in that I I never considered myself or considered a seal the completeness of my being. Right. Meaning it was something that I did, and I was incredibly proud and and so lucky to be able to do that. It was just fantastic. But I I didn't it didn 't encapsulate everything that I am i 'm a man of faith and I'm a family guy and uh, mm. don 't get me wrong i wasn 't one of those frog men that <laughs> show up eight to you know eight to four right. I was zero six thirty to twenty two hundred at night every day right. I was there I mean I spent over sixteen years away uh, out of twenty years as a seal
0: yeah.
1: uh, on purpose right but at the same time, just because you 're physically somewhere doesn't mean that that has to to be all that you are I think that the human the human mind and the human body are so much more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And I was able to throughout the years really, uh, I wouldn't say compartmentalize specifically what I was doing at a certain time, but I was able to, I think, enjoy life a lot more than other folks were by maybe taking a minute, uh, just a little pause to see where I'm at and and where I wanted to go. Yeah. So it was very helpful to me.
0: Good for you. No, that's terrific. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, Hey, So let's, uh, since we have a bunch of folks listening who are really intrigued with uh, the unbeatable mind philosophy, which you just actually um, teed up a great kind of um, segue, um, you know, the underpinning of the unbeatable mind philosophy is that we're capable of 20 times more than we think we are. Mm -hmm. And then uh, essentially we get into uh, how, like how do we unlock that potential? And we talk about developing ourselves in a whole or an integrated fashion Along what I call the five mountains of physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual strength, mm-hmm. and to take deliberate control over those areas of our lives, so as best we can, right those things that we can control, which is you know as you know very little, but it 's very powerful what we can control, right, and if you can control what you can control, then the rest of the world seems to line up to support you mm-hmm. at any rate um you know with your experience as a Navy seal, what do you think was like the the, the most um, important um, principle that guided your life that helped keep you balanced, sane, and thriving in that high-risk, high-pressure environment of the SEALs?
1: I just threw you a fast pitch. No, it's cool. <laughs> well, there's a couple things. The, the first thing is knowing that I can. Right. I can. Um, that Nike thing, just do it, one of the f- most fantastic marketing things ever, just do it, right? Just right. just go do something. Right. But you're really not ever going to be able to just go do something until you realize that you can. Good point. And, and you cannot do anything until you get challenged to the point where you can't, and then you overcome the challenge. So, and I learned that in Buds when I finally figured out why it was actually there. Mm-hmm. And what it meant. We were doing a, a PT on the beach in fourth phase. Now it's called PTRR or something. Mm-hmm. It's the a pre-training phase and I'm explaining this for your listeners, not right. you obviously. But uh we're standing on the beach in Coronado facing inward, and uh instructor Brown was on the podium facing out to sea and the storm happened in San Diego Junos, in that frequent huge lightning storm and then it started to hail. So oh, there's sure. lightning and hail, we're on a beach, we're in shorts, and I I did uh two years in the fleet working on a tugboat, which is <laughs> one, one of the reasons that I was so motivated to graduate from Buzz, I bet I was not going back. Bell was not going to happen. God bless the regular Navy, but it's not for me. So this uh, hailstorm starts coming in, rah, and uh, Instructor Brown is facing this way, and he goes and halt, and he stands at attention, and he runs into the compound. I'm like, oh well, this dude's going to go in there and say we've got to stop PT because there's thunder, lightning, <laughs> and hail, right? Well, he comes running out like five minutes later, and he's got a dive mask on. <laughs> And so what he did was he went into the compound to get a dive mask because the hail was hitting him in the face and he couldn't see if we were doing the right exercises. And that was a light bulb that appeared above my head when I realized, okay, what we're going to do in BUDS is what we say we're going to do. We're here to PT for an hour and a half and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do anything it takes in order to accomplish that goal that we have set for ourselves. Uh-huh. So learning that early in buzz, I think I'm the only guy that got that lesson. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like 100 people, like right. 40 of them started to get it, 20, really have a grasp, 10. And then there's like two people that are like, oh, my gosh, this has just changed my life. That changed my life at that moment. Cool. Um, so that that's what I took with me right. throughout the SEAL teams. And so that applies across the spectrum of your life. Yeah. If, if you say you're going to do something, then you should do it. And that's a, one of the... The key underpinnings in my book, The Book of Man, A Navy SEAL's Guide to the Lost Art of Manhood, that was a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> that's one of the things. It's like, look, man, if you say you're going to take care of your family, take care of your family. Right. Don't your fans or butts it. If you say you're you're going to uh, be a good citizen, be a good citizen. If you say you're you know not going to drink anymore or you're going to quit smoking or whatever it is, whatever that challenge is, if you say you're going to do it, then just do it. Back to the Nike right, thing. right.
0: Well, absolutely. And if you make that commitment, you may not have the skills and the knowledge to do it, but you find a make, find a way or make a way to close the gap,
1: and then you get it done. That's awesome. Best best way to do that is to find someone that has done it before. Walk those uh, steps ahead of you. I, I know the programs that you run for guys are just phenomenal because yeah. you have this very diverse background mm-hmm. and you have accomplished so many things in your life. People can look at it and, and go, "Oh, wow! Well, uh, market that. So why can't I?" It's yeah. it's yeah. it's great. That's that's it's the, point. at the essence of manhood is younger men learn from older men, right? Older men have learned from guys that are probably dead right now. But passing <laughs> on those lessons, that's how we better ourselves as a society, as individuals, as humans. I'm sitting in the NICUMANS library right now. There's, there's 25,000 years worth of knowledge sitting 100 feet from me that people don't even look at anymore. Who goes to a library? I right, do.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about that?
0: Deep thoughts. <laughs> With frogmen. How funny is that? That is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're a strange breed. Sure. So how did you, um, you grew up in Minnesota, you told me. So right. talk, talk to me about your early childhood. What was that like? What was your father like? And what um, inspired you to join the Navy? Was that to get the heck out of
1: Minnesota? Yeah. My parents were divorced before, uh, I remember them being married. So my dad really, I would, if he lived around the end of the civil war, he would have been known as a carpet beggar or a vagrant. I don't know. (laughs) So, and I, I pay no homage to that cat at all. You can learn what to do by seeing what not to do. It's the negative influences. So that's, I would say that my father was an influence. My uncle, Bob, uh, gunnery Sergeant Robert F. Mulligan retired was really the male role model in my house. The other role model for a character or for character was my mother, uh, Carol Van Orden. He just passed um, last month. Kind of unexpectedly, yeah, she's fantastic. So I write in my book that you know she's the best mom and dad that anyone could ever hope for. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a whole lot of that typical strong male, you know, my father's this great guy and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. As I said, I learned what not to do from him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we moved to Oregon following my mother. Well, she was a single uh, working mom, worked her, her uh, fingers to the bone for us to support us. Fantastic lesson. You don't have to have external genitalia to support a family. You don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a qualifier, pal. It's just not. But uh, yeah, it's, I love that. Thank you. yeah, uh, no, you're welcome. Um <laughs> So uh, yeah, I went out and no kidding, like a seriously bad movie, a friend and I, uh, his name is Kurt. Uh, we got liquored up one night and said, hey, dude, let's join the Marine Corps. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're the right best Marines. Up. Right. Totally the best Marines when we're drunk. And then uh, I woke up in the morning with a hangover and I'm like, dude, I do not want to be a Marine. And he's like, I don't want to be a Marine either. And I said, let's go join the Navy. He's like, okay. So, no kidding. I got in the car. I drove, picked him up. We still have hangovers. This was 1988. Remember, if you had a pulse... And you, well, I think that was it. If you had a pulse, yeah, you're good you to go. The only Reagan qualification required, right? Reagan wanted a 600 ship navy. You know what I mean? And you need deck apes like I was to be on those boats. I cleaned a lot of toilets and painted a lot of stuff,
0: which helped end
1: out. up on a tugboat. I mean,
0: that's because
1: oh, all right, so and I, I talk about this in the book. The intervening years by the, between moving to uh, Oregon from. Wisconsin, I discovered marijuana and I mm-hmm. thought it was great. Best thing ever. Dropped out of high school when I was 16. I just mm-hmm. got my uh, undergraduate degree last year. I was 44. That's twice the, the uh, age of the average person. But yeah, so I dropped out of high school and um, smoked a lot of pot. And I went into the recruiter and they, they ask you a bunch of questions. They're like, hey, have you ever used drugs? I said, yeah, I smoked marijuana. They, well, how many times? I like, I, I have no idea. And he's like, no, really seriously. And he's like, I, I have no idea. And he goes like, "Juan, did you try?" I'm like, "Look, dude, I have no idea." So that many times, and he is sitting there, and he goes, "You do realize I'm writing this down?" And I said, "Well, I assumed you are. You're sitting in front of me with a piece of paper and a pen in your hand. It was just a, you know, just a guess that you're going to write something down. That use the tools you have in front of you." But uh, so I told him about that, and they're like, "Look, you can join the Navy, but uh, there's a couple things you're going to be able to choose from. Three actually. One was seaman apprenticeship, airman apprenticeship, or fireman apprenticeship. So I chose seaman apprenticeship." Because did, the did, senior, you ask,
0: did you ask him what the three different things would
1: be like? Or Yeah, they're like, this guy comes in, I, I kid you not, and he's <laughs> a chief. Like, I retired as a senior chief. And I, I think this guy's MacArthur. I didn't even realize MacArthur wasn't in the Navy, but he had all these medals and stuff, and he's in his dress blues, you know. And uh, he's like, Derek, when I joined the Navy, I did the Seaman Apprenticeship Program. It gives you the ability to look at all these different rates, which for your listening audience, your jobs, all these different jobs in the Navy, and you get to pick the one. I'm like, well, that, that sounds good. Uh, and you're going to be above the... Engine room, which would be really hot, and I wasn't too interested in air stuff. So uh, that's what I did, and, and um, the Gulf War broke out, and I, you know, joined the Navy, see the world. I was stationed 600 miles away from my house on shore <laughs> duty at Concord <laughs> Naval Weapons Station, working on a tugboat. I kid you not, dude, working on a boat that pulled out hundreds of thousands of pounds of ammunition. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's we'd pulling off these. These AEs, the ammunition and oilers. Mm-hmm. So this is like a huge Molotov cocktail, and they think I'm still a doper. But you know, again, I said I wouldn't do it, so I didn't. Uh, you know, that's been 30 years now. But uh, I just found that very strange. Like I personally, I would say, like, hey, we could use you picking up the yard, or maybe you could lo- mow the lawn, or a cook, for instance. I'd be fine with that. You know, you're gonna-. anyway. So that's how uh, I got in the Navy. Randy Station, I about did anything about Buds at all. And I don't know, was Randy done? Was he in your uh, your time? He uh, have been. What was the name? You're breaking up a little bit. Uh, done, Randy. Oh, sorry, Randy. Randy, he was at uh, Team 5. You know the SEAL Motivator Program that they have now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when I joined, this was my motivational thing, and this is how I found out about Buds. There's three guys that wanted to be SEALs. Join the Navy. They in my hospital corpsman class. I wound up striking for corpsman from the Bosun's of I still didn't know about SEALs. So they're like, yeah, hey, we're going to be SEALs. I'm like, what's that? And I go, well, you get guns, you get to run around, you're outside a lot. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I'm doing that. And they're like, you can't go do that. Mind you, I was still smoking cigarettes and, you know, out and about. I was on per diem <laughs> from the fleet, so I'm like, it's an extra 20 bucks a day or something. I like, tripled my paycheck as an eat nothing <laughs> So stoked. In San Diego, I'm like, yeah. but uh, So this guy comes walking into the class, and he was completely squared away. My chiefs were very competent in the fleet, but they just weren't like squared away dudes, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes walking, turns around, and goes, "My name is my name is Chief Randy. Right? If you want to be a SEAL, come talk to me. If you don't, f you, you're probably going to quit anyway." <laughs> and then he he walked out. Awesome. That was it. And what's funny, man? After Hell Week, there. Another reason I got to go to Bud's, this is why I, upon reflection, I have a much more deep uh, appreciation of the hand of God in my life. Right. Because the only reason I got to go to Bud's is because the teams were so short on Corman. Hmm. And I was in core school at the time. Mm-hmm. So we had 56 guys go. There was 56 Corman in class 184 when we, when we uh, started. 56 Corman out of 153 or whatever the crap. 12 of us graduated oh. on time. But after Hell Week, um, some of the guys run over to see uh, Randy, and uh, he's parked in his car, and he's like, hey, congratulations, guys, you know? And then I walked up to him, and I shit you not. He goes like this, you made it through Hell Week? <laughs> like, yeah, thanks. So I knew I was just a number. You know what I mean? He's like, I got to get X amount of Corman. Yeah, we'll take that Van Orden screwball. No way he's going to make it, but I'm good to go. I can go get a beer now, because I met my quota or something. It's crazy. So, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Navy stories, dude. And then I went to uh, SEAL Team 4. It was the last SEAL Team that I was aware of. I, I was unaware of the you know, whole universe of operations. So that was the last um, SEAL Team that I was aware of that went to combat. Mm-hmm. So I decided that you know, Panama, that's— right, right. Yep, yeah, and uh, Patia Airfield. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you know, if I'm going to be a SEAL, that's what I'm going to go do because that's what we're here to do. I, you know, it wasn't a canoe club for me. I was married at the time. We had one child. And it didn't matter. I mean, that, I was going to go be the best SEAL I could possibly be. And mm-hmm. I would train constantly. And a few questions that I asked myself you know, the two most important questions, you can apply these across the board. It's not necessarily for the SEAL teams, but uh, number one, what did you do today to make yourself a better SEAL? Mm-hmm. So you can say you're a CPA for a while, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, well, what did you do to make yourself a better accountant today? Mm-hmm. And if you can't think of anything, you know, sit back down. Fail. <laughs> right. Yeah, sit back down at your desk. And the other thing was, um, what have you done for America today? I like that. Yeah, and those things should be the same. Mm-hmm. What you're doing for your, your job and your life in the military, because your job really is your life, mm-hmm. it has to run parallel with the, the higher and greater truth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It must. And if you want to take it down to, you know, one more base level, what have you done? Not that accountants are bad. What have you done to be a better accountant today? Mm-hmm. What have you done to make your company better today? Mm-hmm. It's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting.
0: I ask those questions of my staff and I have them reflect upon um, how they can align uh, closer every day with their unique passion and purpose, and then how they can translate that into making the company better and our clients' lives you know, better. It's pretty, yeah. but you're right. You know, I've often said that the quality of your life is reflected in the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. It sounds like you learned that early on.
1: And was was this just... Was it it a mentor? Intuitive?
0: Intuitive?
1: For some... No, I've just always... My family makes fun of me because when I was a kid, I mean, like a small child, I used to stop and just watch Ants for a long time. (laughs) And I'm serious. Well, I mean... You can you, learn a lot from an anthill. You can. Oh, my gosh. I mean, so many things. What are they doing? Yeah. If you look at them, there are actually very subtle differences between them, but they all are going to go do a common thing, mm-hmm. uh, working together cohesively. And that's a joke for me with SEALs that you can, if you see four guys in the distance that look completely different, so they have different uniforms, different guns, different whatever the heck, but they're doing exactly the same thing, there is a very high likelihood they're SEALs. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to your point, you can ask these questions or have your people. I've seen this a lot. I like should read a book on leadership and they're all, you know, leadering themselves in circles. Um, if you ask the question, but then don't listen and act on the answer that your people give you, stop asking the question because mm-hmm. you're going to get them pissed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People know when you're actually listening to them, mm-hmm. Advice it's not in your head. Um, that's, that's, write
0: that one down. Put that in one of your leadership. Yeah, that's books. good. I, I've got it logged. So, um, yeah,
1: you served at SEAL Team 4 for how long? I was there for five years. Five years. And then I went and finished uh, independent duty school. Okay. So, I was an 18 Delta, fully qualified, right. a Army Special Forces Medical Sergeant. Goat Lab. Yeah, I did that. Uh, then I went to SEAL Team 1, and the reason being, it, I had the SEAL detailers, a friend of mine, his name was Tom kind of had this um plan laid out for me and a few of our guys to finish 18 delta and then go back to um the east coast to screen for another team and then wind up there that was kind of our path Mm -hmm. and it's good when you have guys that want to lay that by that time i had proven that i wasn't a slipknot and um however the five years that i was at team four i probably spent conservatively four of those years away from home Mm -hmm. maybe four and a half but you know you're a young man you're an apprentice. Mm -hmm. And then you're really, at the end of five years, you're just breaking into journeymen. That's two platoons. And I I took that very seriously. So by that time, we had three children. Mm. And my wife, Sarah, who's the bomb, Mm -hmm. is from San Diego, Mission Hills native, fourth generation San Diegan, and Caucasian. That doesn't happen very often. Wow, no. Yeah. But uh, so I felt really bad leaving her at home. And this was in 1998. So leaving her in Virginia Beach, I felt bad. She didn't have family there. I mean, she had friends, obviously. She's not agoraphobic or anything. But uh, so when we, we went to the detailing thing, Tom came up from Memphis and said, Hey, dude, uh, what team do you want to go to? And, or just say East Coast, West Coast. And he's going through everybody East Coast. And he gets to me, and I say West Coast. And he stops because he, he had already written down East Coast on his thing because I was one of his guys. You know, you're going to raise up to go to uh, go screen. And he got so pissed that I filled out my <laughs> – it's a 1306-7 mm-hmm. enlisted transfer request form. I still remember that. Hopefully in like five years I'll forget what that form <laughs> was. But So I put in SEAL Team 5, SEAL Team 1, and SEAL Team 3 because SEAL Team 1 was the SEAL Team 2 of the West Coast, you right. know, Stalag, Stalag 1, right? right yeah. I'm like, I want – because I came from SEAL Team 4, which was the SEAL Team 5 of the East Coast, you know what I mean? And so he got so pissed at me, he sent me to Team 1. And it was completely in his power. It wasn't like, oh, someone made me do this. I knew ex- exactly when I got the order. So I'm like, wow, Tom is really pissed at me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. Were you at Team One before? I was
0: at Team Three. Okay, right, and, and then SDV Team One. Okay, so you should just chuckle at the guys at Team One, right? Yeah, yeah. They were, so did I until so I, so I walked up
1: there and <laughs> I'm like, this is no longer funny.
0: Well, it's like Ma- Master Chief Ackerty kind of.
1: That's right.
0: He was the cultural backbone of that of that team for many years.
1: He was there when I showed up. Was he? Dude, I got yelled at every single day because <laughs> I'd have like – we're going to go PT. So I'd put on whatever boots I wanted or shorts and then socks and shit and – excuse me for swearing. But uh, Dean, who – Cummings, who's a, he's a friend of mine now. You know what I mean? But he's the master chief and he was doing what he's doing as the master chief. That's his job, you know, really keep these standards up to spec, right? So like the second week I was there, I'd been yelled at every single day. About uniform shit. Now remember, I've been in the teams for six years at that point. Seven <laughs> years at that point, I've got uh, three deployments, two platoons, including one to Bosnia, my like combat deployment. you know, combat. It's like Cleveland now. We thought it was a big deal back then, but
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? You're yeah. Like,
1: oh, I go to Bosnia, it was a big deal. So anyway, so I'm not like some dude that just rolled off, you know, got out of butts. So finally I go up to him, I go, Hey, Mastery, please can I have some type of, like, matrix or something that will say which boots go with which socks and shorts? <laughs> I got God, get the fucking out of it. That did not help. <laughs> at all. Seriously. Just need a Like, whatever. <laughs> I got some lunch at Team 1, and then uh, after that, I, uh, I was not pleased with our land warfare training at all. Hmm. Uh, I did, at SEAL Team 4, we did SQ... T or STT at the time. So that was like six weeks of land warfare. Mm -hmm. Then you went to team four and you did another six weeks of land warfare. (laughs) Deployed to Panama and you lived in the jungle for five weeks and you did land warfare for another five weeks. So you're just a machine at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just, you, you're on it. It was fantastic. I went to team one around the desert, running around, it's hot and sweaty. They yelled at us, we shot some bullets at cactus. I'm like, this is junk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Relatively speaking, don't get me wrong, I really do not want to cast disparaging remarks Mm -hmm. on those guys because they did a fantastic job. Just comparatively speaking from essentially having 15 weeks in a row of land warfare training to four or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I wasn't happy with it, and I said, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, I'm not going to just sit around and bitch about it. I I love this community. I love my country. Uh, So when they stood up the training detachments, I was the second guy in the land warfare office. Nice. Uh, Jeff Green was there. He retired as a master chief. Awesome guy. Jeff Green talks like this. Yeah. He used to hold a, uh, an M16A1, which is the rifle I had in Buds. He would hold it like a pistol with his arm out, one hand, and shoot expert. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm doing whatever this guy tells me. Green was a monster, too. I mean, he, he's yeah. such a great guy. He's- yeah, he's fantastic. And you know what? Because he's so big and burly, yeah. people look at him and they're like, oh, this guy's got to be an idiot. But yeah. talk to that cat, man. He's very smart. Yeah. So I did that. I said, yeah, I'm not going to just bitch about something. I'm going to do something. Um, so I decided to go there, and I was the LPO for the land warfare and special reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. And then I met chief, and I became the chief for that. Mm-hmm. And went to uh, Team 5, went to chief job over there, went up and to Iraq, which is a very good experience. I had fantastic dudes. I mean, just mm-hmm. fantastic. I had 10 new guys. Mm-hmm. And we went to war with those guys, and they just crushed it i 'm so proud of them. I mean, I get misty thinking about it they just they just turned it on. i was yeah i, I can't describe how fantastic they were. then I went to uh, a different team on the west Coast and did some work there for a while. I was asked to come over to commission that one the mm-hmm. sport activity. Mm-hmm. I worked there for quite a while and had some very uh, great experiences and then went from there to team seven, where was the troop chief, another mm-hmm. great uh, experience there, went to Afghanistan, actually Iraq and Afghanistan from there, and then uh, over to Germany for three years, wow. not the unit, not at the unit, I went to the Special Operations Command Europe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Sakir worked Sochers. for, yeah, Neil Guiden was there, he was the DCO, Tom Brown, who made Admiral, mm-hmm. he's the DCO, mm-hmm. Deputy Commanding Officer before him, and uh, Mike Repass mm-hmm. was the the Commanding General, super dude, I knew awesome. Re- Repass
0: from... Uh- when I was in Iraq, he was the J.S.O.D.F. Mm-hmm. J- uh, commander. Good okay. guy. Yes, good
1: yeah, guy. fantastic. You know what? The reason that he didn't make three stars is because he was a soldier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was he was a soldier's general. And that's just at that point in that uh, climate in Europe at that time. Remember, we were doing the Russian reset and all this other stuff. It's foolish decisions. I'm a civilian. I can say whatever the hell I want. Absolutely foolish decisions by the... Uh, the cabal that was in charge, the, the group of UCOM at that time, following directions of the administration, mm-hmm. and it, it got him so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I don't blame him. I think a lot of the things that are taking I actually don't think I know. There's a lot of things that are taking place in the world that are viewed very negatively that would not have would not be taking place if. Uh, no kidding. If that, it's really hard, and you know this as a SEAL to say uh, Green Bray dude is pretty awesome, but I'm telling you, if that Green Bray guy had been in charge instead of the admiral you yeah. I think we'd have a much better outcome, yeah. at least for the next five years. You know, things will wash out. Right. And then I went and worked for Steve Wizotsky. Oh, yeah, Steve's great. Yeah. Wes, he's awesome. He's awesome. At the Center for a Seal in SWIC, uh, in Coronado. And that was good as a transition. It was like a year that I had to retire, and mm-hmm. I got to really do some meaningful things, writing the exams for the enlisted guys and really kind of shaping the community by talking to all of my peers. hmm finding out what's important to them. Should we be focusing more on diving or mm-hmm. parachuting or land warfare or whatever the heck it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and then giving back to the community was, was mm-hmm. nice. I mean, all in all, I, I can't ask for a better...
0: Yeah, what an incredible career. Very, That's very crazy. cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So um, let's shift fire and talk about Book of Man. Book like of how, Man. how did this come about? Like, Where did the seed for this thing pop into your head? Peachy donkey, pal. such a cool name. It reminds me of... Uh,
1: the Dangerous Book for Boys. You remember that? Yes. Um, Was yes, that an yes. inspiration
0: of, by any chance?
1: No. no. You know what? I when I start thinking about something, I try not to read anything. Uh, in the, I'm not kidding. In the same genre, I know that right. that's counter what everybody else does. No, I'm but. the same way. I'm afraid of what I'm going to learn.
0: <laughs> right. Like, wait, there's my idea. Wait. Right.
1: Then you're plagiarizing something. Right. '95. We're in Peachy Dundee, Chili, which is a small town. We were training with some guys, our counterparts, so we had the weekend off, we climbed this little mountain, there's not much to do, it was in the off-season, so we packed all the necessities for a a weekend hike up this mountain, so we had a bunch of bottles of Chilean wine, which is fantastic, (laughs) some MREs, cameras and crap, and I was always our intel rep, so I'm taking pictures of everything. We get up to the top, pass through the cloud layer, and it gets gets pretty chilly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that country should be called Chile, not Chile. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, so the guys are there and they're like, Oh, it's really chilling. I go, yeah, man, we'll start a fire. I'm going to go take some more pictures. And I come back like 15 minutes later, there's, there's no fire. The guys are all standing there in a circle. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they start looking at their feet and I had kids at that point. So I, I know what's going on. You know, they don't <laughs> worry. these
0: are seal team guys who couldn't,
1: these are them. seals, dude. And I, it's so Unreal. cool. I found the original, um, slide, you know, the old <laughs> slides Uh huh. I have the of the fire in these dudes those guys and that was the the fire you know i'm like what the hell man and they're like well looking at your feet and i go holy crap you guys don't know how to start a fire do you and they're like well and i'm thinking they're all city kids you know what i mean and when in buds did they teach you how to start a fire there's like that is the least tactical thing that you could do (laughs) except for like maybe drive up to target in in a fire truck with the you know hey we're coming to kill you that'd be bad anyway so the fire is like number two and uh so I showed him how to do it. You know, it's, it's moist up there because it's above the cloud line. Just lift the top layer of the leaves and grass off, and then you'll find stuff that is dry enough. And we had matches. So in the book, I don't teach you how to start a fire with flint and you know bows and all that crap. I teach you how to start a fire with matches because if you go <laughs> That's buy a great place to start. By the way, yeah, right? if you buy all the primitive stuff now, it costs like eighty bucks.
0: And you're yeah. like, seriously? Go it, it's, get also, a it's also It's easy- also very hard to do. I, I've done.
1: <laughs> I've started a fire with a bowstring before. It took me yeah. three, three days to figure it out. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I mean, I can make fire with everything though, because I've gone to all these survival right. courses now. Yeah, but you know, hey, look, man, if you don't have matches and you don't have a lighter, what are you doing? Seriously, if you're planning on going out, um, anyway. So that, that was really it. And I, I started to realize that. Wow, guys, today do not have the same skills that I really taught myself as a kid growing up with my BB gun walking through the woods. Right. Um, and then I just started to pay more and more attention to see these things. And you see guys on the side of the road, they don't know how to change a tire. We had guys um, in the teams that didn't know how to drive a stick. And you're like, hmm. well, how the hell do you know how to drive Now, driving a stick is not in the book, but changing a tire is. Right. So I think it's, it was important for me to write these things down. You know, what have we forgotten? 50 years ago, if, you had, if your grandpa had said, let's say you're both alive then, hey, um, let's go fishing. You'd go, okay, great. I need a fishing pole. I need a lure or I need hooks. And, and then once you get the stuff, you have to get the worm on the hook and yeah. figure out where to fish. And you wouldn't have some like big brief. You wouldn't have to get on YouTube and all that crap. you just go do it because you know how to do it, right? Right. Ask some guy that today. Ask a dude how to sight in a gun. He's either going to be horrified of weapons because they are the harbinger of disaster, which, mm-hmm. you know, is silly. They're tools. Mm-hmm. Or the dude has, you know, he wears camouflage PJs to bed. He's got a little inflatable M16. He's, you oh, know, I love my gun. So we're on, on one side or the other. You either know everything about guns or you know nothing about guns right. in our country today. And I just explained stuff like that. What, what's the difference between a shotgun shell and a 9mm uh, round?
0: Right.
1: Things that we've forgotten. Um, and the cool part is is that i have a lot of friends and i have, i think really the coolest friends in the entire world and i asked them to write different sections of it oh cool so my brother who taught me how to change tire writes how to change tire uh, a guy named mitch uh Gerns, who is the illustrator for the punisher like for marvel comics punisher oh cool he writes how to make the how to make cocktails because let's be honest Life isn't about a series of checklists that you have to do. It's understanding. Being a man is understanding how to do things, understanding how they work and they do them. But so there's a lot of fancy stuff involved. My friend Donnie Rugg is a haberdasher, an actual haberdasher, teaches you how to tie, tie. What is uh, a
0: tie. What is a haberdasher? Is
1: a good? haberdasher is a man that outfits uh, other men with clothing. Interesting.
0: Yeah, like a cotier. I should have but, known that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I <I'm
1: sure laughs> think I've ever used a haberdasher before. The book's at Walmart, pal. Put <laughs> turn the computer off, get up, I'm, and walk out. I'm way. going to get one. <laughs> right? Now. But uh, Yeah, and then uh John Sheck, who's an uh, actor, fantastic actor. He teaches uh how to kiss a girl. I mean, in the end, right we you know, uh, I identify, self-identify as a heterosexual male. So Prior to being married, that's what I was looking for was a mate, which would be a girl. Um, And then the end is my favorite part. It's called Campfire Stories. And that's a collection of these cool stories of these dudes that I know. And they just kind of lay out some things that have happened to them in their life or or things to think about and then I I wrap them up. So uh, the first one is a guy named Hank Paul, fantastic dude, 90-year-old-ish guy, Jewish dude from New York. Mary Dorothy gets drafted Korean War, and they're like, okay, you're going to Korea, and you guys go that way. And they're like, go that way. And they're like, yeah. Wind up in Nevada, and he was one of the guys that was in the trenches when they blew off the nuclear weapons. Boom. And they're like, get out of the trench and walk into the – have you ever seen those videos? No. They're insane. So there's soldiers and Marines. They put them in these trenches. They clacked off tactical nuclear weapons. They had him get up and then walk into the, the uh, blast. What? To prove that you could do it. Yeah. Now, Google that stuff. It's crazy. But he was one of those guys. Gets out of the Army. He survived, obviously. Yeah, he's fine. He's 90 now. Um, Gets out of the Army, doesn't bitch. And he tells this story. It's this wonderful uh, way that he tells the story. I wasn't going to go against the government. I wanted to do this. I grew up in the Bronx. You know, four of the guys on the block got killed. And I figured that it was my duty. And he went and did his duty. Gets out of the Army. Starts a production company in Hollywood. Um, Matt Height, who's another retired uh, SEAL senior chief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, Matt. Okay. So he tells this thing about legacy. And it's fascinating. He said, if you're a young man, because you're talking about young men, I believe, on this program, mm-hmm. if you're a young man and you took a moment just to think about what your unborn children would think of your actions, how would that change your behavior today? Mm-hmm. And if you, I mean, that's that, that's real deep thoughts with that's Matt. He's a yeah. super guy. Because yeah, um, how many times have you done something just. Re- well, it's, I was going to re- edit that one out. Sure, <laughs> hey, something crazy. You do something foolish because um, you don't think about you know what's going to happen in five years. What happens right. if you think about thirty years in advance? And then the, the, there's uh, Dave Bell, another friend of mine, taking a risk versus uh, calculated risk versus gambling. Very important uh, distinction. Mm-hmm. Seals have mastered that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then John Voigt, who's another friend of mine, he's an actor. He writes a story about him when he was a young man um, in the 60s, did Army reserves, did not go to Vietnam. He didn't want to go to Vietnam. He wanted to be an actor. Then he fell in with the, you know, screw America crowd, Every America's bad crowd, you know, Jane Fonda and all that stuff. He was doing that. And the gig was is that they said, hey, look, once uh, America leaves Vietnam, it's going to be peace, love, and understanding – North and South will will reunite and it's going to be a a better world. And then you're like, yeah, great. Well, we left and like 1.2 million Vietnamese were killed with Laotians and Cambodians. And John at that point was like, I have been lied to and I have been a fool. So he has been working since what, 1975 was the fall of Saigon. He's been working since then to make amends for his foolish decisions as a young man. And he lays this story out. It's fantastic, man. The moral of that story is we hardly ever do what is right when it's right, like at the right time. But it it is never too late to try to do what's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, human timing is is really rarely good. Mm -hmm. But our intentions can be pure as long as we do what we say we're going to do. Full circle. How about that? What? Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well. geez. Um, my mind is full, and um, I can't wait to read the book. And I wish I had had a chance to take a look at it before this, because then yeah, we could talk more about the stories. But where do you go from here? I mean, uh, you just go go back and farm, or are you planning on writing a sequel, or you know, what what's what's inspiring you right
1: now? Well, right now we're just kind of dealing with the book. So I just recorded the audio book up in uh, Hollywood. That should be, I would say, another week or two till it comes out, and then it'll uh, come out digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're just kind of chasing that around, and I am, I'm really enjoying just being around my family. Yeah, right. I never understood. Now I think they're lying. are like, I'm retired from politics to you know spend more time with my family. That's because they got busted banging a page in the uh, <laughs> coat room of the Senate. Okay, <laughs> that didn't happen to me. I'm actually <laughs> enjoying <laughs> spending time with my family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had our first granddaughter, and uh, it, it is wonderful to have the freedom to be able to move around and do stuff. You know, I don't feel a lot of pressure to uh, to get crazy with stuff. But I've been doing some television things, and I'll do another movie coming up probably uh, in October, November. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun. It's re- it's being able to be the captain of my own ship. Nice. nice. Uh, is cool and the farm is just the deal man you sit out and that thing it gets you know 40 degrees below zero because it's it's 45 minutes south of lake superior i mean it isn't next stop canada wisconsin so do you, do you actually have farm animals on this farm or- no we don't until next year when we move there full-time so okay. i have just 80 acres so it's not like some huge mm-hmm. plantation and uh about 70 of that it's tillable mm-hmm. so we just do hay right now mm-hmm. just good but apparently you have to be with animals frequently or they die. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Who knew no, that? <laughs> no book for that. But uh, but bailing
0: hay, that's another one. There's, there's a, you know, I used to bail hay when I, was, when I was a kid at a friend's farm. Really? What a
1: great experience that was, man. It's work, dude. It's hard Far- work. Farming yeah. is work. Yeah. And to be, Have you seen this thing? It's called uh, Euro Dreams of Sushi. Have you heard of that? No. It's this fantastic documentary um, about this Japanese sushi chef named Yuro. Uh, He's got a three-star Michelin restaurant in the Tokyo subway. Uh, President Obama went there. Uh, But this dude has this quote. He says, look, you don't have to be proud of your job, but you have to be proud of your work. Yes. And when I I saw that, I stopped that thing. I kid you not. I called my son. He's at Marquette. He was a sophomore then. I called him and said, uh, Kurt, I was calling my brother's name. Hey, Ted. I want you to get on Netflix right now, pull this thing up, your old dreams of sushi, go to like 27 minutes and 13 seconds. I forget what it was. I want you to watch that and listen to this old man because he knows exactly what he's talking about. And then I walked in the other room and did the same thing with my other son, Danny. That's cool. Yeah. If we take that way, the pride in something other than ourselves, not to the point of we're these trippy Buddhist monks sitting in a big ball of spaghetti together, but if we understand the fact that we're looking at ourselves and ourselves and seek a higher goal, purpose, exactly the same thing that you've been teaching with. for how many years you've been doing this? But if you actually do it, understand that I'm walking this road right now. And it could just be in the middle of a conversation. I understand I'm turning this towards myself right now, and I need to stop and focus on the other person right now. Right. If they do that, their lives become so much more rich. Yeah, I and I don't mean rich like money crap, I mean like you actually have a sense of personal wealth. You know what I mean? That that transcends money. We are not made of money. Money is something that we use. Right. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Philosophical points with the old senior chief.
0: We'll have to come back to that, actually. I like that. So let's talk philosophy on another podcast. That sounds really fun. Yeah. I would love Um, to. Great, great, great look. uh, Great luck with the book. Um, People can find it at Amazon and places like that, I imagine.
1: Right now at Walmart and Walmart.com. Okay. Walmart.com. It will be. it's being, it's being hot on Amazon now, but it, it'll be in the, the public on Amazon. It'll resume this move, And then the audio book will be out along with uh, the digital Kindle version. So Awesome.
0: awesome. So right on. Thank you very much, Derek. It's been, uh, it's been quite a, a, a pleasure and an honor to hang out with you and to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm, I'm yeah. sure folks will really enjoy the, uh, uh, the podcast. Uh, let's do it again. Let's stay in touch. And if you ever get to San Diego, look right me up and I'll, uh, I'll do the same. I'd love to come out and spend some 40 degree below zero time with you out in Wisconsin. Hey, bring it, dude. I'm telling you, that's man camp for real. That is man uh, camp. Yeah, you've
1: got that place in Coronado, right? Uh, Encinitas. Is, you see?
0: About, Encinitas is 30 minutes north of Coronado. Oh, the, the CBC. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you broke up. Cornell Brewing Company, I'm not involved in it anymore. I sold my interest to my partners. Oh, not? Okay. Yeah, I just bailed on that. I did not realize that. I thought free beer for okay. life was a good idea, but it came with some, you know, baggage.
1: Yeah, like an extra 60
0: pounds, bloodshot <laughs> eyes, and a divorce. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> All right, buddy. It's great talking to you. Thank you very much. Um, stay in touch and good luck. So, everybody, uh, this is. Commander Devine uh, saying goodbye. Thanks for your time. Uh, go check out Derek's book, The Book of Man. I can't wait to read this myself. And um, Derek, we'll see you again yeah. sometime soon.
1: Right on. Cheers. Ooh, yeah.
0: Thank you very much. Thank Take you care. You got it.
1: You're welcome. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back. The pride of the fleet, The bright, swinging frogmen. Of the U.T.T.